All right, it's good to be with you. It's been a few years since we've been here. I think it was 2019 or 18, not for sure. Everything's a blur since 2020, so I don't know about that. Uh, but it's good to be with you. Um, I appreciate your pastor very much. I appreciate the opportunity to come and to preach. appreciate the messages so far. Um, just very generous. Uh, thank you for the hotel. Thank you for, thank you for all the cards that came in the mail uh, before we got here. Uh, that's always a nice treat. You know, let us know you're praying for us. And, and uh, how many cars did you get, brother? You got about three or four or so? Did you? You got 10? I got, how many did you get? Five. Five. Oh, I got 20. Um, uh, but anyhow, I really appreciate all those cards. Uh, they were really nice. And uh, all the cash, it, mine was full of cash, every one of them. We, uh, they love you. Yeah, Roth IRAs and all kinds of stuff. It was really crazy. Uh, but, but anyhow, we appreciate it. Now, all joking aside, that was really wonderful. And, you know, encourage our hearts to get those and uh, to know that you're praying for us as we come. That's always an opportunity to stand and proclaim the Word of God. Uh, we've been tasked with the, uh, Matthew 5, verse 38 through 48. Uh, so you can be turning there. You're probably already in that chapter, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, appreciate the, the great big bag of goodies. I tell you, that was wonderful. Um, my only problem is that I really wish you would have got my wife and daughter something. Um, my message this morning is about selfishness versus selflessness. <laughs> they were selfish. They thought that was for them. I just can't believe some people and how they think. Oh, very, very generous. It really was. And uh, those things really add to the touch, you know. You'd come a long ways and... And it's just nice to see that you're putting thought and concern in it and, and thinking about us. And we really appreciate that. That means a lot. Matthew 5, verse 38 through 48. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Publicans, they would have been the outcast of society. So he's saying, if you're just doing that, you're, not, you're just doing the people that you hate do. They can do that. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Saying you're, if you only love those who love you, you're not doing any better than the publicans. Now that was a slap in the face. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Father, help us with this passage and 
and help us, Lord, to deliver your word in a manner which will please you, bring you glory, give clarity to the scriptures and proclaim what it teaches and help us, Lord, to stay true to your word. Help us, Lord, not to be hearers only this morning, but to be doers as we leave here. And may we apply your word to our life. In Jesus' name, and amen. amen. Now, before we work our way through this passage, I want to just take a step back for a moment and see something that Jesus is saying uh, that we may not catch at first glance. I appreciate Lewis, and he already uh, made reference to this. It'll make my job a little easier this morning. Uh, but two times in the passage that we have read, and a total of six times, uh, we see that phrase, you have heard that it has been said. We see that in, in our verses that we have read in verse 38 when he says, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, does not the Word of God say that? It does say that. It says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But when he says, you have heard that it hath been said. So he's talking about the things that they have heard about that passage. And so we don't understand all that's in detail here, but obviously there were some teachings that the Pharisees were giving where they were taking the Word of God and making it mean something that it didn't mean or misapplying it as Lewis has already stated. So that principle in the law, it is found in the Word of God. It's found in the book of Exodus and in Leviticus. But what was happening in Jesus' day was that the Word of God was being misapplied. Let me tell you what, that's dangerous. Whenever we take the Word of God and say, well, the Word of God says, but then we apply it in a way that it doesn't tell us to apply it. That's dangerous. And that happens a lot with the law of God. It happens a lot. We take one little section where the Word of God says this, and then we apply it in so many different ways that the Word of God never tells us to apply it. I could, I could, I could go a long ways right there. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I stay on that too long. But that's what Jesus is dealing with. And that's what we deal with a lot today. Even in Sovereign Grace Baptist churches, we find a little obscure verse in the Old Testament, and then we take that principle and we apply it in a manner which was never intended to be applied. And that's what they did. Now, how did they do that with that specific command? Well, that specific command was meant for civil authorities to carry out. It was not meant for personal retribution. And so what must have been taught, based upon what Jesus is saying, is the Pharisees must have been teaching that it was okay for them personally to exact justice in a personal way apart from civil authority. Alright, so listen, God forbids that for us today. We, we can't take matters into our own hands. We must look to the law of the land to take care of our vengeance, right? God has ordained civil authorities for that. Now, there were... Some in Jesus' day, as we say, were misapplying the Word of God, as already stated the Pharisees. Now, also in verse 43, he says it again, You have heard it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, you never find those phrases together in the Old Testament. 
You never find that. Now, you might already be thinking, well, doesn't the Word of God say something about hating others in the Old Testament? It does. God says He hates the workers of iniquity. David said, I hate them with perfect hatred. Okay? But they were taking those things and misapplying them and how they were intended in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, so we cannot do that. And so they were combining it and making it, it's almost like they were picking this verse here and picking this over here and combining it into one command. And so if God tells me to love my uh, neighbor, He must mean also for me to hate my enemy. And so, so you can take Scriptures over here or Scriptures over here and make one big verse to say what you want it to say. Um, and you can't do that. I remember old preacher, a uh, friend of, of mine, known for many years, you all may know him here, Cecil Fayard. Um, I remember one time he, he was preaching and, and he, he put a few verses together, you know, and just made a hilarious statement. And um, it, it was funny, it really was, but it really showed how foolish it was to just take this verse and this verse and put them together because you can make the Word of God say anything you want. Um, I think it was something like this. The Bible says Judas went out and hung himself. And the Bible also says, go thou and do likewise. You know, I mean, and so you put those together, we should all go hang ourselves. It was something like that. Or whatsoever your hand defines to do, do with all your might. And so do with all your might, go out there and hang yourself like Judas. Listen, we can do that with all portions of the Word of God. And that's part of what the Pharisees were doing too. They were taking this and taking that and coming up with their own little convenient teaching. Something that they thought they could keep. Because let me tell you what, it's a whole lot harder to love your neighbor, right, than it is to love your enemy. Right? Or is that the other way around? Yeah. Right? Listen, hating my enemy, that's pretty easy. I can keep that. And that's what they were doing. And like our brother said, he lowered the bar. Hating my enemy, man, I'm glad we got that command. I can do that really easy. I hate him a lot. So Jesus is going to give them something completely different. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Now, and so, once again, the, the Pharisees had mishandled the Word of God. They added to it, and, or, or they take parts and put them together. Uh, but, but they also reason that if we are to love our neighbors, then we must hate our enemy. You've got to be careful about, so when the Bible says this, so the opposite must be true. I mean, you can get in some real trouble there um, in, in your misapplication of the truth. And so Jesus is saying, don't follow after the example of the Pharisees, and what they are saying about the Word of God, okay, don't follow their example, but verse 48, be perfect even as your Father in heaven which is perfect. So don't look to their what they have said, listen to what I say because I'm the authority, and look to your Father as the example. Now, Brother Kiger has already given a great message on our righteousness in Christ for salvation. 100% true. Also, what Jesus is Christ teaching, that the righteousness of the Pharisees was all external and nothing internal. And we can't miss that too for the child of God. It's not just about Christ as our righteousness for salvation. As a child of God, our righteousness that we have must start within and then work without. 
And that's what Jesus is teaching as well. And we see that in the examples He gave that, that our brother gave reference to because whenever He uh, said this, you've heard it said, don't kill. That's outward. Just don't kill anybody. But I'm saying, don't hate. That's internal. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's external. But I'm telling you, don't lust. That's internal. And so the righteousness of the Pharisees, they like to put on a show. They like to look righteous. But Jesus was also saying, but on the inside, they were rotten. They were as dead men's bones. As a child of God, it's not about the outside. It's about the inside. Inside must work its way out. And so that's what Jesus is referring to as well. Now, to let your works and deeds be patterned not after the self-righteous and selfish Pharisees that will misapply the Word of God to suit themselves and make themselves look righteous on the outside, but let your works be patterned after your Father in heaven that springs forth from an inward selflessness and a love for others. So your Father in heaven that is perfect, He is your example, not the teachings or the examples of the Pharisees. Now our first main thought here is selfishness desires revenge. Selfishness desires revenge. And so by Him teaching this, He's actually revealing that the Pharisees were a vengeful group of men. Anyhow, we won't talk much about that, but in verse 38 and 39, when he says, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that you shall not resist evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now again, Jesus is not teaching what was taught in the Old Testament, okay? He's already said if anybody does that, he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is not the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's not teaching what, against what the Old Testament taught but He is teaching against the misapplications of it. He is teaching us not about how civil government was to operate. He's not talking about That's not the context of what He's talking about. He's teaching us that we are not to have personal retribution. Listen, that that commandment, that shut uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, that is good stuff for civil government. You know why? Because in our... Government today, we are not equaling the punishment for the crime. There's two extremes there that can take place. Sometimes people don't get the equal punishment to the crime and they're getting off of stuff. Sometimes, sadly, this happens the opposite side. People are are punished way far more than what their crime should be. That's, That's bad. So an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, they're just saying, let there be justice in the civil authorities. Don't under-punishment, don't over-punishment if you are in charge of civil government and authority. Now, uh, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about personal application in our daily life. And so, uh, let me say this as well, because I've heard this with this passage. Jesus is not teaching us against self-defense. I've heard this verse used like that. Well, listen, we don't have the right to self-defend. And we have that problem. You know, we, we, have, we live in a middle Amish community, okay? They're very much about that, that the self-defense is wrong 100%. Jesus does not teach that. I could teach you all kinds of verses that talk about self-defense, okay? We're not going to go there. 
A really good website, though, actually called selfdefense.org, I think, something like that. A very good biblical explanation. Turn there if you want. Anyhow, that's not what this message is about. That's not what Jesus was teaching about. Um, but, but anyhow, if, but if we take this passage and apply it to, against using self-defense, then we become guilty of misapplying the Word of God just as the Pharisees did. So we don't want to do that. So Jesus is not talking about it. Boy, if you're there and, and somebody is beating you up, I mean, they're just waylaying you, then you just gotta, you just got to stand there and take that like a man. That's not what Jesus is teaching at all. The smiting on the cheek, on the right cheek, he, he, he very specifically says right cheek. There's a reason for that. The smiting on the right cheek is not talking about if someone is coming at you in a fist fight, you're there and your family's there, your wife is there, and boy, you're in a restaurant and some guy just going crazy and he comes up and just, you know, nails you one that you got to say, oh, man, I wish I could do something, but then turn the other cheek. No, Jesus is not talking about that. Now, I'd like to use someone for an example of this. You want to help me out here, brother? I'm just kidding. No, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to say that all morning. Um, <laughs> I was going to do the slapping. He was going to do the receiving, okay? It's more blessed to give than receive. Um, but the, the smiting on the right cheek during that time, it wasn't, it, this isn't an, a physical assault. This was a form of insult. And you have to see that. If somebody hits me on my right cheek, okay? If he's standing there and facing me, most men are, are right-handed. That's common. If he's going to take his right hand and hit me, which side is he going to hit me on? He's going to hit me on the left cheek. So to hit me on the right cheek would have been a backhanded, just a slap. Okay? That's not how you fight. It's an insult to a man to slap him like this and to hit him on the right cheek. That's where I would have to... To hit him on the right cheek... I would have to go like this, not pow, like that, okay? So it's an insult to his manhood. It's an insult against his dignity. That's what that's about. So when somebody does that, though, Jesus isn't teaching us. What's up with Jesus? He's teaching cowardice. No, He's not. He's actually saying, stand there and don't let them insult you anymore in such a fashion Turn to them the left cheek. And in essence, you're saying, hit me like a man. Hit me in the other cheek. You're not going to backslap me anymore. You better, you better raise your fist and co-cock me and come around. Because that's what you're going to have to do. He's not going to be able to do this and hit me here now. He's going to have to come like this. So, so Jesus isn't teaching cowardice, okay? And let me say this. If it goes that far and then He hits you on the right cheek, Jesus doesn't say what to do after that. Now, I can't say what he says to say after that because it's not written, but <laughs> okay. But if it gets that far, anyhow. So he's not saying to run. In essence, you're saying, I do not accept your insult. But at the same time, he doesn't say to swing back, and so you don't insult back. So this slapping of the cheek. During this time is an insult. It's not a physical assault. All right? 
Jesus is teaching us to not respond back to insult with more insult. When someone seeks to physically humiliate you in some way by words or possibly by actions, it's easy for us in our flesh to want to humiliate them in return. You slap me, I would want to slap you back and a little harder. People can cut us with their words and we can want to cut them back and insult them with greater insult. They slap us with an insult and we want to slap them back with a greater one. To respond in such a way, we will most assuredly to respond the right way and to not slap back with an insult, we would need a spirit of love and selflessness. When people insult us or humiliate us in some way, our flesh wants to instantly get revenge and get them back. That's what Jesus is teaching against. And when we respond to insult with insult, then we are going to make matters worse and not better. Insults can hurt our feelings. They can strip dignity from us. And we are taught, what? To treat others how we want to be treated. And so we must respond without insult. We must respond and not say to do anything to strip them from dignity. Because that's what we want to do. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. So selfishness, it will desire revenge. And it will return insult for insult. Selflessness, which is driven out of love, because he talks about loving your neighbor, that's what drives this selflessness, this, this better response. Selflessness, which is driven out of love, will look at the one who insults them and will in love not insult them in return, but will actually bless them, as Jesus teaches in verse 44. So instead of slapping them back, you will do good for them who hate you. You will pray for them which despitefully use you. Boy, this had to rock their world. (laughs) It rocks ours still today. We're still talking about it. You know, some, sometimes one of the best ways to, to bless people who have humiliated us or insulted us is to say nothing. Because it's so easy sometimes to even come back with, with a response that is kind of sarcastic, but loving, you know, um, and make matters worse. Um, the Bible says he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. It says do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. And so we can be, even in the moment, if, if we're being extremely insulted, we can respond to something, have their own attitude, and we just make it worse with how we reply. Sometimes it's just best to have no reply at all. Just turn the cheek, hopefully it'll go away, and then uh, deal with it maybe later, Whatever. We can reply to insult with nice-sounding sarcasm, you know. Um, 
Replying the wrong way will only make it worse. And we cannot allow our desire to protect self from insult or humiliation and, and to try to do it in return. Um, we must be selfless just as Jesus was. First uh, Peter 2.23 says, When He was reviled, reviled not again. Uh, listen, people make fun of you, big deal. I mean, that, that's... Uh, what's, we can take that. We can take that. The word reviled speaks of being reproached or being vilified. In other words, you're made the bad guy. Isn't that how our society works today? The person oftentimes that gets hurt becomes the bad guy? That's the Christian way. That's what happens a lot of times. When he was reproached, Jesus was made to be the villain. And he bore it for our good. Jesus said earlier in verse 11, Blessed are men when they revile you. Now, second main thought here we want to get at is selflessness is giving. Selflessness is giving. In verse 40 through 42, we see this. Um, And if any man will sue you at the law and take away thy coat, give him your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Or two, give to him that asked thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And so... While selfishness seeks revenge, selflessness is giving. Selfishness will hang on tight to what it possesses. But selflessness lets go of what it has. Selfishness hangs on tight to worldly possessions and is not willing to part with them when asked. Selflessness has a loose grip on them and is willing to give what is asked and even more. Jesus is teaching us here to be selfless and to do the unexpected. Surprise people with what they ask of you. I mean, and, and, and that's what I love. I love these principles that Jesus teaches here because He was dealing directly with things that could happen in their everyday life. When someone asks you, give them more than they ask. That's going to surprise them. Now from what I understand regarding the times of Jesus, because Judea was under Roman military occupation, under military law, any Roman soldier may command a Jew to carry his pack. But by law, he was only allowed to ask him to carry it one mile. He could command it, but he could only command it one mile. Now put that in context. A Jew being commanded by a Roman soldier to carry his pack a mile. So Jesus is teaching them to go beyond what is asked, go beyond what is required by the civil law. (laughs) So instead of 65, you do 60. (laughs) I don't like that one. Oh... I'm going to have to repent. Um, So go beyond the one mile that may be required by law and give another mile out of selfless love. Could you imagine the impact a Jew would have, a Christian Jew would have upon a Roman soldier if you're there and you're taking care of your family or in the marketplace or whatever and you're you're there in your own town and a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, hey, I want you to carry my pack a mile over into the other town. 
You've got to drop everything you're doing. You've got to go the mile or a mile toward the next town. I'm tired. At the, mile is, uh, the town is two miles away. I want you to carry it for a mile. What's that Jew going to have to do if, after he carries it a mile? He's going to have to walk back a mile. <laughs> if the town's two miles away and then the Jew says, you know what, that, that town's two miles away and uh, I can tell you're tired and, um, you know, I, I'm going to carry us all the way for you. I don't, I, want, I don't want to go the mile. I want, I, want to go, I want to take it all the way to the next town. That would floor the Roman soldier. He, he would, they have two now. That Jewish Christian has extra opportunity to talk to this Roman soldier about why in the world he walked not just one extra mile, two extra miles possibly, because he, now he has to walk back, folks. <laughs> Unless he was already going the same direction. That's possible. Unless he just happened to be going the same direction. If he wanted to go back, if he's going to drove two miles, now he's got to walk back two miles, now he's going four miles. So could you imagine the opportunity to witness, to talk to them? Folks, let me tell you what. We, we have so many opportunities to witness to people when we go the extra mile to be a blessing and an encouragement of, to them. Do something unexpected. And you might be surprised at how it may affect people. We have this wonderful card at our church has been such a blessing. It's, it's probably the, the thing that's given away the most from our church. It's a little track I created, why did I just do that? And it's just a bunch of little scriptures. And what it's meant to do, it's meant to something you hand to people when you do something unexpected, something really nice that people wouldn't expect. It's kind of beyond. And you do something nice for them, and then you just hand them that card. And that's it. And I love it that that's the, the one thing that's given away more than anything. Because your acts, the things you do matter. And it can have a great, profound influence on people when you go the extra mile and you do something unexpected. Now, there would be selfishness and pride. Would be totally, they, would, they would be so tempted to have selfishness and, and, and pride if they were asked, asked by a soldier to do this of them. And probably, very, very likely, many soldiers uh, would gloat over the Jews as they required this of them. I'm sure the soldiers all didn't have great attitudes when they asked. Sometimes it may have been asked or commanded and they genuinely might have been tired. I'm sure most of the time a soldier would require it and he may not even need it at all. He just liked telling a Jew what to do. And so wouldn't that be hard to then say to, to somebody who is obviously just commanding you to do something because he has that power and authority over you to then say, I'm going to do more? Well, this really stretches me here. I mean, to, to, to respond in such a way. Now, I want you to think about for yourself, though. Think about the, the time, the work, the humility, the selflessness that would require a Jew to, to do this. But how wonderful it would be if we continually were exercising selflessness and going beyond what is being asked or required of us. <laughs> I think that most of the time we do the minimum. Most of the time we do what we can to get by. Or if people ask us to do something, we're like, well, what's the least I can do to still kind of do what they've asked me to do? where it still looks like I did it, but I don't really have to put myself out. That's kind of how we can think. 
But I might get kind of points for doing it anyway, you know. Um, what if we went the extra mile at work and did more than required or commanded? You want to surprise your boss? Do something unexpected. What if we did more than what is asked of us at home or at church? What if we did the extra mile there? So Pastor Jason expects us to do this. How about you do more than that? Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, boy. I better go cash that love offering right now. <laughs> but what if we did that? Oh, I don't like this sermon. Our selfishness only wants to do what is asked or required if it even wants to do that. Like I said, sometimes it doesn't even want to do that. (laughs) Imagine that Christ-like influence that you could have on the people in your life, the people at work, if they seen you very lovingly and selflessly doing more than what's required of you at work. What about the influence, fathers, you can have on your children when you very selflessly serve your wife and your kids? And you go beyond what is required, beyond what is looked at as what is reasonable for you to do as a father. Well, what if, what would example would, would church members have on the young people if they weren't just doing enough to get by? Just doing the minimum of, of what makes them look a little bit like a Christian, but going beyond what it looks like to be a Christian and do more out of selfless love and devotion of, of doing what around the church things that nobody's even asked you to do. He didn't ask him to go two miles, but he went the two miles. Man, what a what an influence you could have. In verse 42, now I need a, this extra mile thing going too. I, I'm saying I'm running out of time here. But he said I had 40 minutes. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to go an hour and 20 minutes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Out of love and selflessness. I'm not really going to do that. I'm going to try, and I'm not getting near as far as I need to. I'm going to do my best here. In verse 42, Jesus is explaining and expounding the application of verse 40 and 41. And so he gives examples of being sued at law. He gives an example of a soldier compelling you to go to a mile. And then he just really sums up it all. Give to him that asks thee. So he makes a broad application of the two examples he gave and just says, in whatever case it may be, give to him that asks you and him that would borrow of you, turn not away. Give and actually give a little bit more. So that's what he is saying. And so... No, we may not live in a Jew, be a Jew and Roman soldiers asking us to do that, but he's saying it applies all across the board. That's what he's saying. Anyone ask you, you need to do that. And so, so, so if anyone asks anything of you, wants to borrow from you, do not turn them away. You know, when we view all of our life and all of our stuff as belonging truly to the Lord and as, and as means of being a witness and a testimony to Him, then it helps us not to hang on so tightly when it's asked of us by others. Selfishness hangs on tight, but selflessness gives more than asked or required. Selfishness seeks to take from others. And that's why it's hard sometimes to respond to selfishness in a selfless way. See, I think this is what we're kind of tempted to do. If somebody's asking something selfishly, we're like, well, I'm not doing that. They're being selfish. Selfish. 
Uh-oh. And you are being selfless right now? I can't... No, you're not. <laughs> See, it's easy to respond to selfishness with selfishness. Just like it's easy to respond to insult with insult. And see, this is hard for me because I don't like it when people are selfish. And so when they're asking something of me that I really don't want to let go of, and they're just being selfish in their request, because it would be selfish for somebody to sue you for your coat. That's selfish. It would be selfish for a soldier to ask a Jew who's, who's less than him or not as strong as him to carry his pack a mile. That's selfish of a Roman soldier. To even require one to do that. And authoritative and demanding. <laughs> but respond with selflessness. See, that's tough. It's hard to respond the right way when somebody's being selfish. It's hard to respond to selfishness with selflessness. When others are being selfish in a request, it's easy to say, no, I'm not going to do what they have asked or, or commanded me to do. They're just being selfish. We must in love respond not to selfishness with selflessness. We must respond to what is asked of us with love and selflessness. Let us give more than asked or required at work. Let us give more than asked what's required at home. Let us give more than what's asked in our churches, in our community. Jim Elliott said it wisely when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now lastly, I'll try to do this, this quickly. Um, oh boy. Uh, selflessness overcomes evil with good and will love its enemy. Verse 43 through 44 Now again, the Old Testament does not tell us to hate our enemy in a manner in which that the Jews were, or the Pharisees were teaching that. That was an addition to the Word of God or misapplication of different passages. Jesus is teaching us on how to overcome our enemy by loving him. The goodness of God continually leads us to repentance, and our being good to our enemy may be used of the Lord to lead him unto repentance, as well as maybe even turn our enemy into our friend. That would be wonderful. The Apostle Paul taught us in Romans these, these same things that Jesus taught. He tells us in Romans 12, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So do not wish any evil to come upon those who persecute you. I'm simply amazed at, at the uh, testimonies of our brothers and sisters in the Lord who experience real persecution for the name of Jesus, and yet they respond with love and kindness. They do not respond with pray that God makes the life of my persecutors miserable, but they respond with things like pray that I can remain faithful or pray that they may be saved. Paul further instructed in Romans 12, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You have to give it to the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you heap... Coals of fire on his head. Jesus isn't, or the Word of God isn't saying, hey, be good to your enemy when he's being bad because you're, you're going to make hell a little bit hotter for him. Heap coals of fire on his head. That's not what it's teaching. It's talking about heaping coals of fire on his head. It will burn his conscience. See, you, you should want to be a blessing to your enemy and do more than what's asked, better than what's asked, 
Because God can use that to burn His conscience. And, and we, they, He needs a burning of His conscience, and that might be used of God to lead Him to repentance. Our, our anger and our desire for revenge, for, for self, uh, I, I tell you, um, we, we have got to fight against that. Our love and selflessness will have, have us to respond to our enemy in such a way that will bless him. Now, our, many, our enemy may not change. He may not. But we still have to respond the right way. We still have to respond the right way. We will not overcome evil by doing evil. We must overcome it by doing good. And Jesus tells us the good to do. He, he says, pray for them. Listen, you can't, you can't stay angry at somebody if you keep praying for them. You just can't. I remember reading one, one uh, account there where uh, not, not too long ago, uh, a man had come home and, and his wife was murdered uh, by some terrorists. And he's got her, got her in his arms and, he, and he, he's come home and found her and, he, and he's holding her in his arms and and he gave, he, this testimony was given of him, and it says he started praying for those that killed her. I just can't imagine that. That's amazing to me. Now, I'm gonna, I've got more I wanted to say about a lot of that, but I'm running, I'm running out of time here. I, and so, overcome your enemy by, by loving him, praying for him. So some final thoughts here quickly. You said 40 to 45. I'm on 45, okay? I'm going to take that. Um, I consider the examples that, that Jesus gives in all of this section. Think about this. I'm going to try to sum some things up. If people slap you, if they sue you, if they compel or force you to go a mile, if they curse you, if they despitefully use you or persecute you, all of these are examples of how the world may treat us or hate us and our Savior whom we represent. It's really in, it's really in response to the world. As a context, Jesus tells us to turn the cheek, to give more than asked or required, to not turn away, to love, to bless, to pray for them. That is how we are to treat our enemy. Yeah. And yet, and yet, sometimes Christians cannot get along with each other for lesser offense. It's sad. It's sad. It should not be that way. The publicans treat each other better than that. And that's what Jesus was saying, too. The world treats each other better sometimes than Christians treat each other in the church. That should not be that way. Hmm. All right, I've had to skip over a bunch here. But uh, be like your Father in heaven. Be like your Father in heaven and, and be like Jesus. As the world comes at you with its hatred and selfishness, respond with God's, God's love and selflessness. Selflessness will ultimately win in the battle against selfishness. We will see in the end what is rewarded in the best way. And uh, Jesus talks about that, that um, what reward have ye? Listen, if you're just looking to, to, to have a good reward, you know, sometimes we want that reciprocation, that instant gratification to do something nice for somebody that will do something nice for me. And Jesus is saying doing something nice for somebody that won't do something nice for you for a reward that is not in the moment. He's going to reward us as Christians. There, there are rewards for 
for faithfully serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The scriptures teach that. And um, there are rewards. You, you give a, a glass of water for a prophet. I mean, it's not going to get you into heaven doing good works. We know that. We've already seen that. But as a Christian, when you, when you serve the Lord faithfully for the right reasons, for the right purpose, there are rewards. And when you respond the right way in the things that Jesus just teaches us here in the right way, there are rewards for that. And um, I think we'll want to cast those rewards at the feet of Jesus. Uh, but there are rewards for that. But how wonderful that would be to have those to cast at His feet. Right? Father, use this message to, to, today and for your honor and for your glory. Help us to be, Lord, a selfless people like Jesus because He exemplifies all of these things. Very selfless. And uh, we pray you help us to be more like Him. In Jesus' name, amen.